everyone, this is me, Ebony, coming to you with another Bible study today. I am filming in a different location of my house. As you can see, my background is a little bit different, and but that's okay. Difference sometimes is good. So today, I'm still going to be doing Bible study in the book of Acts. We're still in the book of Acts. I'm going to be going over chapters 8, 9, and 10. So, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, we're going to be going over... Some of the things that I feel like God has given me to give you as I was reading and studying um, the Bible and things that God just wants me to let you all know to tell you. So as you all know, in my previous Bible study, it ended in chapter 7, we see that Stephen was on trial. Stephen was eventually killed. You know, he was the first martyr um, mentioned in the Bible uh, that we that we've seen and how he was on trial, they tried him and he was filled with the, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit and they asked him questions and he wasn't afraid to stand on the word of God and how that chapter seven ended was that he eventually ended up being killed. But as I was telling you from um, Acts chapter seven, that to me his death seemed peaceful, although they stoned him. But because it said that he went to sleep, when we think of sleep, we think of something that's peaceful. And to me, it seemed like the way the King James Version Bible described it, it seemed like he may have been taken up by the Lord before that they could finish stoning him. Um, so to me, it seemed like he really didn't feel anything. So Acts chapter 7 ended with Stephen being killed, but him still fulfilling the word of God on his life and his purpose that, he, he, that God called him to have. So in chapter in uh, Acts chapter eight, we see that it's continuing on to talk about Stephen, how um, the disciples buried him, and then they went on to preach the gospel. So first, I'm going to what I'm going to do is read all the verses in Acts chapter eight, and then I'm going to go over my notes um, what God gave me during my Bible study. So and I always read from the King James Version. Um, my handy dandy Bible. You can use any version of the Bible that you want. If you don't have a, you know, a hard copy Bible, you can always use an app on your phone or you know your iPad, whatever you want to use. You have new version. Um, you have the Bible app. You have Bible Gateway. You have um, Blue Letter Bible stuff like that. It's it's a it's a bunch of apps on. Um, iTunes where you can download and get different versions of the Bible. So, okay, we're going to get into it. So, Acts chapter 8, King James Version, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down into the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things, which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. 
for unclean spirits crying for unclean spirits crying with loud voices came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was a great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that one long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And then Simon himself believed also. When he was baptized, he continued with Philip in wonder, beholding the miracles and signs which were, which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid there their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore on this day thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray yea to the Lord for me, that none of these things which they have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an Unich, a great author, authority, under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come unto him and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his, his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare, shall declare his generation? 
for his life is taken from the earth. And Jehonich answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him unto Jesus. And preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the Unich said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the Unich, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the Unash saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities, till he came to Caesarea. Okay, so that is all of chapter 8. So as you can see in chapter 8, how... It ended in chapter 7 with Stephen being killed. Then in the beginning of chapter 8, we see that the disciples had to go and bury Stephen's body. And then it says that they continue on with the Lord preaching the gospel. So as we can see in chapter 8, they had to bury their friend, which was to me signifies a sad thing, but also a great thing because we know that to be absent on the earth is to be present with God if you are a Christian and if you are saved and if you're Jesus Christ. You know that once you leave this earth, you're going to go to heaven. But when you're on this earth, you're absent from God, but you're present on the earth. So to me, it has a twofold meaning for Stephen to have died and died the way that he did. Um, to them, they may have been sad, but at the same time, knowing how the apostles and the disciples operated back then, Knowing that when one of their brothers died, they were sad in the flesh, but they also rejoiced because now Stephen was in heaven. So, now that this tragedy has happened, they, the Bible talks about that how they still went out and preached the gospel unto all the cities. Now, we all know that when we have a tragedy within a family, when we have a loved one that dies, um, when we have... Um, just a traffic event that happens, sometimes it can stop you in your tracks and it can slow you down just a little bit because you're, you're going through pain, you're going through shock, you're going through, you know, all types of emotions and you're trying to piece together the pieces of the puzzle and still move on. And who knows how long it took them to get back to start preaching the gospel, but it probably wasn't that long, if at all, because they had a job to do, and they were sent by God to preach the gospel. So one of the lessons that we can learn from reading uh, Acts chapter 8 is, is that no matter what happens, no matter if it's a tragedy or if something big happens that you weren't expecting to, you still have to go on in the Lord and still do His will. You don't necessarily have to preach the gospel because that's not everyone's calling, but you do have to move forward and still continue on 
in life and not let something stop you so so much to where you're going back but you're falling into a depression and that you can't get out of and not to say that depression is not real it's real but we, we have to be careful about how we handle certain tragedies because it can really stop you dead in your tracks and as we can see they still continue on to do the work of the Lord and they still fellowship they still heal people of all manner of sickness and disease, they cast out unclean spirits, they heal people with the palsies, people who are lame, people who are sick in their mind. They did all these healings and this also signified that they weren't afraid to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like nowadays if we was to see that and we do see that on the news, it may also discourage people from wanting to preach the gospel and to be a forerunner for God because they may have been thinking back in, in their times, you know, I don't want to die because, you know, I'm preaching Christ. But when there's a call in your life from God, you have to do God's will no matter what's going to happen. And for the Bible to say that they still continue on in the work of the Lord lets us know that even though Stephen died because he preached the gospel and because they hated him and they stoned him to death, they still had a job to do, and if that's how God called him to die, if that's what, what God's will was, God was still with him. So, a couple of things. If God has called you to do something, do it. You're going to always have a, a divine network of people around you, friends who are going to help to support you. And continue on in the work of the Lord, in which they did, and don't, don't become fearful of the things that happen to other people just because you guys are in the same line of work. Because every person who God has called, every one of our lives is going to end differently. Like, none of us is going to have the same lifestyle. None of us is going to end life the same exact way. So don't be afraid to live your dreams. Don't be afraid to get out there and do certain things in X, Y, and Z just because someone else did it and they went out a certain way. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen to you. And even if it did, in in retrospect of speaking of being a Christian, preaching the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how you're going to die as long as you fulfill the will and the purpose of God because in the end, that's all that matters. And in the end, we all are going to want God to say, well done, my child. So that was that. That's a few lessons from chapter 8 so far. Uh, they still remain preaching the gospel. And God is also saying, as we can see for um, for one of the one of the people in the Bible who was uh, trying to do sorcery. And we saw how God spoke about that. And he put it on display in chapter 8 saying how this man did sorcery. You know, he wasn't of the faith in the beginning. He did all types of wrong things like that. And in my notes, what God put on my heart is to say that sometimes God will put your sin on display. Sometimes he, sometimes he will put your wrongdoing on display as he did this, this gentleman who did sorcery. And... But he will also put it on display so that way when you are converted um, into Christianity, when you're converted because you believe in Jesus Christ, it's to show, God is trying to show the world that he can save anybody. 
through Jesus Christ, he can save anybody because that's what Jesus died for. Jesus died for uh, died for our sins. He died for us so we can be reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ. And God is, is showing us that just because your sin is on display, just because your old ways were on display, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you shouldn't be ashamed of your past because all of us has a past, whether it was before we got saved or after we got saved, and God is still continuing to work on us. When we truly give our life, when we truly give our lives over to God and we repent, God is going to always give the glory, no matter how bad your past was. So. The things that you may be trying to hide is probably the very things that God is going to use to win other people souls to the kingdom of God. Because the thing that you're trying to hide, the thing that you're ashamed of, other people go through it too. They, they, they go through the same problems that we go through. They go through the same issues that we go through. We all are tempted with a lot of the same things. Like there's no sin that is uncommon to man. So there's nothing that we're going through that someone else hasn't already experienced or has gone through or will go through. So the very thing that you are probably ashamed of is probably going to be the very thing that God is going to use to actually be your testimony. And you're not going to be proud of it, but you're going to be proud that God saved you from it through Jesus Christ. And now you get to help win souls to the kingdom of God. And that's to me, that's like the greatest feeling ever. To see someone converted in a Bible who used sorcery, who was fellowshipping with demonic spirits, now being converted over as a Christian, and now is on the winning side in preaching the gospel. So we see that no matter what's on display, God can always get the glory. And then in Acts chapter 8, it also talks about how you can accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And in my notes here, I put, boom, that's the answer, you know, hashtag boom. But I know there are some people in some religions that say, you know, when you get saved, you also get baptized. Well, that's not necessarily the case, because as you can see in Acts chapter 8, you can receive Jesus Christ on one occasion, and then still be baptized in the Holy Spirit on a different occasion. So accepting Jesus Christ and repenting of your sins, um, and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then being baptized in the Holy Spirit are two different entities. Um, it's through God, it's still through God, um, and only through God. But I am going to be going over Acts chapter 9. Somehow my video got cut off, so I had to restart it. I think it only does it in 20 minute increments. That probably means I was talking too much, but it's all good. So, um, in my other video or in the continuation of the video, I did go over Acts chapter 8. So now I'm going to be going over Acts chapter 9. And as I was saying before, Acts chapter 9 is uh, talking about the story of Saul. As we all know, or if you don't know, Saul was a persecutor of Christians. He was not saved, and he was known throughout the history. Um, of the New Testament and the, the old saints to have um, actually gone in and, and uh, persecuted Christians and he was the one who would put them in prison or have them, excuse me, or have them killed. And Acts chapter 9 is talking about how um, Paul, who was when Saul, was converted unto uh, 
converted as a Christian and accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So what I'm going to do is, is as I always try to do, is um, read the verses in the chapter and then go over my notes. So Acts chapter 9, and I am using the King James Version, as always. And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round him about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now this is Jesus talking to Saul. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they laid him, they led him by the hand, and brought him unto, into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither, and neither did he eat or drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and told him, and to, and to him said, Lord, in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Go be, and he said, Behold, I am here. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayed. And has seen in the vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. And the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from him, from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and he arose, and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then Saul, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ into the synagogues, that he and he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them which called on the name in Jerusalem?
and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying awake was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had, he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, he was with, and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the, the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which, when the brethren knew, they brought him down unto Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all corners, he came down also to the saints which dealt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years, and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise and make thy bed, and he arose immediately, and all that dwelt at Lydia and Saron saw him, and he turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deed, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in the upper chamber. And for as much as little was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent him unto him. They sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come by, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. And Peter put them all forth, and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and the widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon of Tanner. Now in chapter, in Acts chapter 9, we see that Saul was um, a persecutor of Christians. Okay, he was known throughout all of Jerusalem and all of pretty much the world that he didn't like Christians, he persecuted them. And as you can see, 
he was on his way to Damascus. And in my notes, I put, what does your road to Damascus look like? Because we all have not had a, a great road. Even if we think our road was great, before Christ, our road was nothing. I don't care how much money we had. I don't care how much dominance or position you know that we may have had. Our lives before Christ was was garbage, pretty much. Um, because you know when you're not saved, you're you're bound to hell. So I put in my notes. What does your road to Damascus looks like? What was your road like? when you met with Jesus Christ because I got saved when I was 14 years old. Some people get saved in their late years on earth. They get saved at 80. Some people get saved at 10 or 4 years old. So all of us have a road to Damascus where we were living life, living it up, doing whatever, whether we thought it was right or wrong. You did X, Y, and Z, but then you met Jesus. So what does your road to Jesus look like in what can you say your testimony is going to be to the people, to the world, to Christians and non-believers to say, this is what my life was like before Christ. This is what happened when I met Christ and this is my life afterwards. We all have a road to Damascus and that road isn't pretty. But when we meet up with Jesus, we are forever changed and God is not afraid to stop us in the middle of what it is that we're doing um, in the middle of our lives to stop us and say, hey, I need you. And that's what Jesus did to, to uh, Saul, who was coming over to Paul. Jesus stopped him in the middle of, of where he was going on his road to, to Damascus. And this also signifies how even though Saul thought he knew what he was doing and his heart was wrong, but God still used him to have a desire to go on a certain path, even though his motive was wrong. He still ended up there anyway, but when he got there, he was a different person. So, no matter what your road to Damascus looks like, like I said before, God can use anything to get you to where he needs you to be. And even though our motives are wrong for getting to a certain place, God can still meet us where we're at. God can meet us anywhere. God can, can help us in the middle of a dark road. And that's, that's what happened with, with uh, Paul. He was on his way to, to kill Christians. He was on his way to persecute Christians. He had a bunch of hate in his heart. But Jesus met him where he was at. And all Jesus had was a few questions. And Jesus told, you know, Saul, he's like, hey, look, you're persecuting me because you're persecuting my people. And, you know, Paul had this revelation of, wow, this is what I'm doing. And he was blind for three days. He didn't have any food, any, any meat, any drinks. So this to me also signified that when Paul was converted and he believed when he saw Jesus, to me this signifies him fasting. So to me this signifies, signifies Paul fasting and praying for three days. And as he was blinded, I put in my notes and what God revealed to me is, is that when we're in our transition or transitions in life, whether we are 
being converted as Christians or we're in transitions of different seasons in our lives, there are times when God will hide us, not necessarily blinding us, but God will hide us sometimes in transitions in our lives to, to help prep us for the next season in our lives. And that's what he was doing to Paul. He blinded him for three days so that he couldn't see the world as he would see it, but God was preparing his soul and his spirit to have a new set of eyes, to see with the eyes of Jesus Christ, because Jesus said that he had a, 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 a call and he had a purpose for Paul, and Jesus said that Paul has to fulfill his will. Why did he use Paul? I don't know. You know, that's just that's just like me asking God, you know, why is he using me to preach the gospel? Or to question God to say, well, why is this person? Well, why not Paul? Why not Saul? Why not me? Why not you? So, when God hides us in our transitions from one season to the next, don't get frustrated. It's, it's Well, I'm not going to say don't get frustrated because we all do get frustrated with certain processes. But don't stay in a spirit of frustration for too long because we can learn a lot from Paul, even in just this scripture alone, to see that transitions to different seasons are not easy, but it's necessary. And in those transitions, a lot of times we do have to fast, we do have to pray, because we have to make sure that we are on one accord with God, and we're making sure that if God is here, we need to be here as well, following underneath God and make sure that we're doing His will and to the utmost of our abilities and to the grace that God has given us to do. So we see that Paul was blinded. Jesus spoke to him. He gave him a revelation. He he got he was converted over into Christianity. He got saved. And you know, Jesus was giving him visions and things like that and, and he was hiding him so that he can prep him. And if this is one of the keynotes that I can take away from this Bible study, that you can take away from this Bible study, is, is that when God is hiding us, He's preparing us for something greater. So when, when we're hitting in transitions, we shouldn't want people to see us. Like we shouldn't try to go out before our time. You know, it, it's it's easy to let pride and ego get in the way when God is hiding us in transition, when God is telling us to be quiet about our dreams, God is telling us to be quiet about our next move, you know, God is telling us to be quiet about our pregnancies, God is trying to tell us to be quiet about, you know, getting married or, you know, uh, getting that license or getting a business loan, starting a, starting a company. God may be telling us to be quiet in this transition from one season to the next, and our pride and egos may get in the way because, you know, we want to tell the world, this is what I'm doing, look at me, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is what God has in store for me. But every season is not the same. There are going to be times when God is going to want to hide us. He's going to want us to be quiet about the next step because that's just how it is. And it's to protect the anointing and to pr protect the transition that you're going through, to protect that phase that you are going to, and if God says be quiet about the transition that you are going on, or that you are going through to enter into the next season that you're going to, then be obedient to the word of God and, and be quiet about it. And I know it's, it's exciting, you know, you want to share the news with people, but even I know from experience that 
you can always share your good news with people or things that are about to happen because to be honest with you, the people who say hi to you all the time, the people who are on your Facebook uh, friends list, some of them may not always be happy for you to be rooting for you. Like with me when I published my second book, you would think some of the people who I would have shared it with were happy, but not every single person was, was happy for me. You know, I was met with a, oh, um, you know, whatever X, Y, and Z. So it lets me know that what their motives were. It wasn't a congratulations, hey, good job on, you know, publishing your book. It was how can I do X, Y, and Z. And you begin to see that as you begin to share the good news with people, not everyone's happy for you, not everyone's rooting for you. So this could also be some of the reasons why God may want to keep you quiet in transition is because there are certain people who, when they are around you, when you start telling them what you are going to do, they may try to kill the the vibe. They may try to kill, you know, your joy and your expectations that you have, you know, with God. And you just want to keep certain transitions and certain things that God is telling you to keep quiet. You want to keep that between you and God because who knows what God is going to have you to do, you know. So just just know that some of your transitions you're gonna just have to be quiet about and it's okay. So be quiet about your next move if that's what God is saying you can do because not everybody needs to know your next steps or what your, your steps are gonna be, even if you are frustrated in between you know your transitions. Okay, when you truly see God like Paul did, when when we truly have a vision and when we truly have certain encounters with Jesus Christ, we're not going to be the same. Mm -hmm. We're not. We can't because God is too glorious. Just like even with Moses back in the Old Testament when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, you know, Moses' countenance was changed um, in that moment because the glory of the Lord is just so wonderful that you cannot encounter Jesus without changing like you have to change because the presence of God is so so pure and so real and so anointed and just so peaceful that when you are in the presence of God when you encounter Jesus Christ you would never be the same. So just know that when you are asking to asking to have an encounter with Jesus, when you are asking to be in the presence of God and to fellowship with him, just know that you will change. You will you will not go back to being who you used to be. When we're changed from the old man to the new and when we step into our new lives um, in Jesus Christ we have to know that the past is the past and that's one of the reasons why you know repentance is so good and repentance is so uplifting and cleansing is because when you repent and when Jesus Christ washed you from all your sins you just feel so cleansed and feel so whole but we can see from Paul that don't be afraid of your testimony. Don't be afraid of your past. Don't be afraid to tell people. And you also have to use wisdom. Um, I do believe in you telling your testimony in due season um, because there are times when people, they really can't handle your truth at that time. So use wisdom and, and, and make sure that you're hearing from God when it comes to your testimony. But it can be a little bit fearsome and it can be a little bit intimidating, but Trust me, we we all 
had to get saved. You know, those of us who are saved, you know, there was one point where we weren't saved, so we've all had a past, even before Christ, and even after Christ, there are those who, you know what I'm saying, they, they've not had the, the great life, so don't ever be afraid and think that God can't use you, uh, God would never use a person like you, God could use anybody, God can even use someone who's not saved to, to fulfill a purpose that God, you know, um, has called, you know, them to do. Because he's God, you know, he he is God all by himself, and that's one thing that I love about God is, is that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your background is, and as we can see in in Acts chapter eight and nine, how God is just so awesome and He's just so so wonderful, and if you turn to Him, He will accept you as is. He will convert you and change you over if you let him. But God is not like man. God can and will accept anybody if you're willing to accept his son Jesus Christ and God's your Lord and Savior. And, and to believe, you know, that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man and, and and that this is what his purpose is for. This is why Jesus Christ, you know, came to this earth. God has no problem with loving you back into change. God has no problem with loving anyone uh into change and to, to just not be afraid, you know, this this earth isn't going to be here forever, we're not going to be here forever, you know, we, we don't have time to uh, live in fear and to, to live in doubt for too long, you know, if you feel like God has put something on your heart to do, but you feel like, you know, your past wasn't the greatest, then pray about it and ask God to give you the strength to do the desires that he has put in your heart and to not be afraid to be used by God. Because we're not perfect, we're human. We, we will make mistakes, we will stumble, we will fall. And sometimes that fall comes at a price, but with Jesus Christ, He's always going to help us get back up if we lean on Him. So just always, always know that. So now up to Acts chapter 10. Now, Acts chapter 10 is going to be talking about a man named Cornelius. He was a devout man of God. Um, okay, so Acts chapter 10. Let me put on my glasses, I can't see. Okay, Acts chapter 10. Revival amongst the Gentiles. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. That is too funny. As I am in Italy, wow. Okay, I have to read that again because that is so freaking funny. Wait a minute, no way. Okay, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Oh my God, that is freaking hilarious. Okay. Okay, God. Oh, man. Okay. Verse 2. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy arms are come up for a memorial before God. 
and now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Cornelius sends for Peter, and when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and an devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Peter's visions, she and unclean animals. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been in a great sheet knit on the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice unto him. Now these words are in red, meaning this is Jesus speaking. And there came a voice to him. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again, and the second time, what God has cleansed, thou hast thou called not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Peter and the messengers of Cornelius. Now while Peter doubted in himself with this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and called and asked Peter, and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. Which is the cause that wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, a satirian, a just man, and one that feareth God, and a good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them and enlarged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and a certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them. And he called together his kinsmen and their friends. And as Peter came, was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Yea, know how that it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or come unto one another nation. But God has shewed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Wherefore I come unto you without 
gainsaying. As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore for what intent they have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting unto this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thy arms are had in remembrance into the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, and is Simon of Tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all, we all here present before God to hear all the things that are committed thee of God. Peter's sermon, being salvation by faith. God has no respect of persons. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respect of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him, and he worketh the righteousness, is accepted with him. The word of God which the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say gave, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we were witnesses of all things, and we were witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on the tree. Him God raised up the third day and shewed him openly, not, not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness, and that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall re receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on him, fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as come with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they, then prayed they him, him, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Okay, so that is chapter 10. So in my notes, I put that chapter 10 was a profound chapter, and it was even profound for me in some of the revelation that God has given me. And for one, in my notes, um, Cornelius was a devout man. And then I put in my notes, um, I said, what can God say about you? What can God say about me? Like, There's not a lot of people in the Bible, aside from Jesus Christ,
guys who God has said things like, He is a friend of God. He is a devout man. So how are we living our lives to display not what can men say about us, but what can God say about our lives and how we've been living our lives as Christians? And this is one of those things that it's not sort of groundbreaking, but it's, how can I say it? It's, um, it's, it's like holding a mirror to your face and it's saying, what do you see? What good do you see? What the things that you see that you know that God can change? And then what things that God is telling you that he does want to change about you? What can God say about our lives that would make us proud, that would make him proud? So it, it it's saying, like, what can God say about us? Can God say that we are a devout man when we're with God? So that's another to think about as a Christian. And if not, how can you go about changing your life to the best of your ability so that we can make our Heavenly Father proud, so that you can make God proud of the way that you're living. And in my notes, I put that reading Acts chapter 10, I see, aside from Cornelius, again, divine connection, Cornelius was fasting and praying, and God told him to send for Peter. Peter was fasting and praying, and Peter heard from God, and they both connected. So again, here's the divine connection. Here's awesome power working. Um, it kind of reminds me when Jesus says, "Where two or three or more gathered in His name, there will He be also." So, in praying and receiving divine connection, just know that two is better than one. Three is better than two. But definitely better than three is definitely better than one. So we gotta be praying for divine connection. But we can also see in chapter ten that God does more dynamic works when there's divine connections than when you are just alone by yourself. And it's not that God can't work, but God is trying to show us unity. He's trying to show us that we cannot operate in the division. And this actually goes into what God revealed to me about chapter 10 and what to me I think chapter 10 is about. So we see that there's a lot of division amongst the Christians, amongst the believers, because you have Gentiles, you have Jews, you have Grecians, you have the people who are from Asia, you have people who are from all parts of the world who travel to Jerusalem to see the wonderful works of, at the time, Jesus Christ, but then who stayed behind who still see the works of Jesus Christ through, you know, the disciples and the apostles. So you have all these people who are together who they've had a religious mindset and they've had the division amongst them for so long. You hear it in chapter 10 where they're saying a Jew can't, can't walk into a Gentile's house because they're not of the same household of faith. They're not of the same background. And that's pretty much how we can relate to it today, not only through religion, but through racism as well, because back in the days when, you know, it was slavery and segregation, we see the Bible played out, how we seen, well, not me, but my parents and my grandparents, how they've seen back in the days where um, the whites couldn't go into a black person's house and the black person couldn't go into a white person's house and things like that, and how there used to be signs that says for color only, for whites only, we see the same thing happening here in Acts chapter 8, 
in the Old Testament how the Jews wasn't supposed to be amongst the Gentiles and the Gentiles weren't supposed to be amongst the Jews. But we see the works that Jesus was doing and when Jesus was trying to get everyone to be on one accord in which they eventually end up uh, being on one accord and Jesus was trying to show that through him, through Jesus Christ, there is no more division. There is no more Jews. There is no more Gentiles. There is no more Christians. Through Jesus Christ, we're all on one. There's no blacks. There's no whites. There's no Asians. There's no Filipinos. There's no Mexicans. There's no um, Russians and Germans. In the body of Christ, we're all of the same household of faith. We're all Jesus Christ's uh, children. We're all God's children. We're all God's people. And, 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 and through Jesus Christ, we are able to be, you know, his, his children by accepting him as our Lord and Savior and believing that he is the Son of God. And Jesus is trying to show us in Acts chapter 10 that there's no more division. There's no more separation. There's no more... This group of people is being better than this group of people. There's no more inferiority. There's no more superiority. There's just love and, and being on one accord and, and being humble and coming together um, in unity and loving one another.